Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Well, tonight we want to uh, study in 1 John, the epistle of 1 John, which is a few books before Revelation, so it's near the end there. I want to look in chapter 5 of 1 John, if you have your Bibles or Bible app. Um, You know, part of our Wednesday uh, discipleship is on the fourth Wednesday of the month, we look at passages that are difficult to understand, or maybe there's been, um, you know, some disagreements about the interpretation of these certain passages over the years, uh, even amongst Christian scholars. I mean, and, you know, for 2,000 years, the, the commentators and, and the scholars have maybe debated about what certain passages mean, and we, you know, as much as I would like to shy away from the difficult passages and, and just say, eh, you know, sort it out, you know, we, we can't. There, even, even if you don't understand every single thing in a particular passage, there are definitely truths that can be gleaned and, and you can live. Uh, and so, you know, that's what we want to, at minimum, you know, learn uh, something from this, even if we don't come to a definitive solution about everything that it means. Well, Tonight's passage has some important points um, about assurance of faith. I mean, again, I'm not coordinated enough to coordinate with any of my music people, the songs, and so it just so happens that we sang Blessed Assurance tonight. That, 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 that's a, that is a God thing, because this passage talks about the blessed assurance uh, that we have in Jesus Christ, as well as the assurance that we have that God hears um, our prayers. Now, in the midst of all all this truth, you know, there are some, uh, some, a couple of verses, two verses that might give us a little fit, and you know, that's what the difficulty is. Um, But, uh, you know, it, it still, I think, has some things that are important for us and hopefully encouraging um, to us. Now, yeah, that there's, the difficult verses within the passage, okay, there's different interpretations, you know, I, I, I studied it, I studied the Bible, I studied, I read commentaries, I read journal articles, and, you know, I came into this thinking I knew what I thought it meant, but then all of a sudden I just ended up with a headache, really, is what I ended up with. Uh, after after all, all that reading, um, there's a couple interpretations that are possible, and, and you know we'll work through that here in just a, a little bit. But what I want to do is I want to read First John chapter five, verse uh, thirteen through twenty-one, which is the end of the book. And this is what John wrote. He said, "I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him." that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, 
and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. I mean, there's a lot in, yeah, after having studied this, I, I just kept thinking, wow, First John is such a rich book. Maybe that'll be my next study after I do Philippians. But, you know, there's a lot of context here that I think and I hope will at least help us glean something from the difficult verses. Obviously, the difficult verses are verses 16 and 17. Those are our problem children because they talk about a sin that ends in death and a sin that doesn't end in death. What in the world does that mean? Well, let, let's first consider the context of the whole book and then this, this particular passage. Now, John, when his, his writings here in, in his epistle, as well as his writing in his gospel, he, he focuses in on Jesus's identity. He wants to make sure that his readers know who Jesus is and what his identity is, that he is completely human and he is completely divine. He is God, he is man. And it's because of that fact that he's able to save us to the uttermost. And John wants to give Christians assurance that if they have repented and believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they have eternal life. That is something repeated throughout the epistle and it really is something that is repeated in his gospel as well. But John is also very aware that there are people who claim to be Christian, but they have never truly believed in Jesus Christ. And these, no matter what their claim is, even they have not believed in Jesus, that means they do not have eternal life. And so he wants to make sure those who have believed, you have eternal life. Those who claim to be Christian, but you haven't actually believed in Jesus, you do not. And, and their lack of faith is, is demonstrated and is something that John repeats, especially in his epistle. The fact that they have not believed in Jesus is shown, well, in, really in two ways. One, they have an inadequate view of who Jesus is. They, they might claim he's man, but they deny he's God or vice versa or, or something like that. They have an inadequate view of Jesus. They don't have a biblical view of Jesus. They don't have the view of Jesus that was taught by the apostles. As well as another marker that they have not truly believed is that they have a lifestyle of continuous sin. Sin is their lifestyle. Rather than for the Christian, we still sin, but it's not a lifestyle. It's not the way that we are 24 hours a day, so to speak. So when you read the gospel and you read the epistle, they're actually, it, it, you might get confused because there seems to be a little bit of double speak and you learn to balance out what he's saying when you look at the whole. When you look at the whole message, like for example, in chapter two John uh, of this epistle, John says, if you know Jesus, you keep his commandments and whoever doesn't keep Jesus' commandments is a liar and the truth is not in them. So, you know, to interpret that, if you claim to be a Christian, but you don't follow Jesus' commands, 
then you're actually not. But then, but then just the chapter previous to that in chapter one, John says, well, if you say you don't sin, if you don't say that you break his commands, really, you're a liar. So he does seem to admit that Christians do sin, but he does tell us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And we have an advocate, we have Jesus Christ who satisfied God's justice when we do break his commandments. So I guess we could say that John is trying to get across and you're not actually a Christian. But for the true Christian, here is how you can know that you are a true Christian and your hope is in the fact that Jesus has paid the price for your sin and he offers you forgiveness. So John is trying to give assurance to the Christian. But he's also trying to warn and convict the ones who claim to be Christian but are not. And so there's this balance. There's this, he, he has it like a dual purpose. Assure the real Christian, convict the false Christian. But now, looking at the passage that I read. So John is concluding his epistle, and he says that he wrote this entire epistle so that those who have believed in Jesus Christ may know that they have eternal life, the blessed assurance of the, Savior, of the, of the believer that the Savior gives. Jesus gives this promise of eternal life. And he's more than able to see that promise through. We don't have to worry about Jesus ever backing out, saying, eh, I don't feel like saving people anymore. You know, we don't have, his, his sacrifice on the cross was more than enough to pay the price needed. And he, he is more than willing to bring all those who believe into eternal life. And so my assurance is not based on anything that I have done. It's not based on anything that I have said. It's not based on me at all. It is based on Christ, it is based on his word, it is based on his promises, it is based on what he accomplished. And that had been fleshed out through the other verses, or the other chapters within this epistle. And now John says, with this assurance of having eternal life comes another assurance, that when you have Christ, and when you have eternal life in him, you can be assured that your prayers are heard by God. God will hear your prayers. Now, there is a little bit of fine print here to the prayers, because John says, I'm not saying, you know, this is carte blanche where you can just ask any old thing and you're going to get it. This is not some sort of proof text for the name it and claim it crowd that, well, he, he said, you know, he's going he's to hear my prayers, so I pray for a Mercedes. He's going to give me my Mercedes. I prayed for a large mansion on this earth. Not just the mansion in heaven, but the mansion on this earth. That means I'm gonna get my mansion on this earth. That's not what he says. What does he say? He says, if you pray according to his will. If you pray according to the will of Christ, well, what does that mean? Well, first, that means that you pray according to scripture because scripture fleshes out Christ's will. I mean, how do I, know, how do I know the will of God? Well, I look in scripture. Everything in, in scripture is, you know, that is his commands and what he says. 
not everything that he describes in Scripture, obviously, but everything that he, he commands, that's his will. But then it also means that for the things of life that aren't specifically mentioned in Scripture, should I or should I not take this job? Should I or should I not buy this house? What we do is we surrender our will to God's will. And so it's, it, it is a good thing to end your prayers saying, not my will, but your will be done. I'm willing to surrender my will to whatever it is that Christ wants from me. Those are the prayers that are heard. And it means that we're guaranteed an answer to the prayer, but it not, might not necessarily be the answer that we're looking for, but we're going to get an answer to the prayer. He knows the future, we don't. He knows his will for us, we don't necessarily know that. He knows the path he wants us to take. And that's why we have to be willing to say, your will be done, and you take me on the path that you want for me, instead of me going off on my own and just messing everything up. Because we have a tendency to do that. If we, if we decide to exert our will over God's will, it's funny how it works out. Things always get messed up. Now, the road of following Christ's will is not always a smooth road. doesn't mean that there won't be trials or troubles in following his will. But it always ends up right where God wants you. And so that's the place where you want to be. If we pray that Christ's will be done, and whatever it is that from our perspective that we were asking for, if that doesn't happen the way that we want it, that just means that that wasn't Christ's will. And frankly, it's probably better that it didn't happen the way that you wanted. And you know, it's, they say that hindsight is twenty twenty. you look back, well, I prayed for this. Christ didn't give me that, but he led me this way. I'm so glad he led me that way. You know, this past Sunday, Trish and I were kind of just revisiting some past prayers and some past decisions that we had prayed about months ago. And, you know, your will be done, Lord, and Christ seemingly opened these, or closed, shut these doors um, at the time. And then we, we just kind of revisited those prayers and our thought process and the decisions that we were making. And, and we came to the conclusion Praise God that he shut those doors, that he did. It's almost like Christ actually knows what he's doing in our lives, and he does. We just go, you know, go with it, and, and your will be done. The one time that Garth Brooks may have, may have actually had good theology, thank God for unanswered prayer. But that's not really good theology because it hasn't been unanswered. It has been answered. The answer just happened to be no or something, you know. But you know what I'm saying. So John's talking about prayer. He gets a little bit more specific about prayer. 
he talks about intercession on behalf of others. And here's where all the confusion comes in. What in the world is sin that leads to death? What in the world is sin that doesn't lead to death? Now, John even admits in verse 17 that all wrongdoing is sin. But here's the thing. God told Adam and Eve in Genesis 2 and 3 that if they sin and rebel, they will surely die. And Paul tells us in Romans that the wages of sin is death. So technically, all sin leads to death. You sin once, it leads to spiritual death, it leads to physical death, but you know, the sin nature is passed from Adam and Eve to all of us, so we sin. That leads to death. So what is he saying by making this particular you know, distinction? Well, first, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. This does not in any way give credence to the Roman Catholic doctrine of there being two different categories of sin. If you're not familiar with it, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that there is mortal sin and there is venial sin. They teach that mortal sin are the grave violations of God laws such that you lose any grace that you may have earned. Now that's a whole other subject about Catholic theology I don't have time to get into. How do you earn what can't be earned you know, how do you earn grace that can't be earned? But anyway, any great, you know, if you've been baptized, you've gone through all these sacraments and, and, and such, and you've done some good stuff, you know, you earn grace. But if you commit a mortal sin, none of that matters, and you're headed straight to hell unless you, I guess, confess to a priest and then um, do the penance that they tell you to do. So that's mortal sin. But then there's venial sin, where they say that, okay, you don't lose all the grace. I mean, you offend God, you wound God, but you don't lose all that grace. But if you die with venial sins on your record, that just means a little bit more longer time in purgatory, you know, and on your way to heaven. Again, that's a whole nother subject I don't have time to get into tonight. But here, I'll just tell you really quickly, there is no, there is no purgatory. There is no place in, in purgatory. Look, when, when you die, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. I mean, that's, that's it. Two destinations, all depending on what you've done with Christ. Now, yeah, these, these verses are hard to understand, but I can tell you that's not what they mean. According to the rest of Scripture, all sin whether you want to label it mortal or venial, all sin separates you from God. And the only answer to any sin, whether it, you want to label it mortal or venial or whatever category you want to put it into, the only payment for any sin, whether you think it's big or small, is the blood of Jesus Christ. Because whether you think any sin is big or small, all sin leads to death. And then, you know, it, to me, they're introducing the concept of losing your salvation, which I do not believe that the, the Bible teaches. Um, because if you fall away uh, from Christ, you haven't trusted, never really did believe in Christ. But anyway, that's what it does not mean. And I'll tell you what, it's a whole lot easier talking about what this passage does not mean than it does what it does mean. But... What, what are some possibilities? 
One possibility is that John is talking about unbelievers who have become so hard-hearted that they're past the point of no return. They will not repent, they will not truly believe, there's no hope for them, and their fate is sealed, so to speak. Of course, my, my issue with that interpretation is, but the verse 16 talks about my brother, if you see a brother committing a sin. So, another possibility is that it's talking about a sin that leads to death, as in for a Christian, it leads to their physical death. In order to protect the church and to protect his name and to protect the integrity of the gospel, if a Christian commits such a grievous sin, God will physically kill them so they don't cause any more damage on earth. We see this happen in the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. You know, they lie to God and the apostles and God took them out. We also see something mentioned in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul talks about the Lord's Supper and he mentions that there are Christians who took the body and blood without discerning the body. So that is why many of them are weak, are ill, and some of them even died because of it, because they took the Lord's Supper wrongly. So that is probably the version I held to until I started doing this study. And now I'm like, eh. But, you know, so that, that's a possibility. But let, let's think this through. In context, John is talking about God hearing and answering prayer according to his will and everything else that I had mentioned. He begins to talk about a specific type of prayer, interceding for brothers and sisters who commit sin. And so, what, at least in this part we understand, if we see a fellow believer in sin, we pray that God would bring them to repentance of that sin. And it says God will give them life, meaning God will allow them to live in the fullness of life that is found in Jesus Christ. So we can pray that God will work in the heart of a brother or sister in Christ and bring repentance in their life so that they're restored in their fellowship with God, so that they can walk unhindered with God again and really live that life. But now, you know, and he says that's sin that does not lead to death. But now the sin that leads to death. If it's referring to the Christian, the context might indicate what I mentioned before about it being physical death. It, you know, it's, not, it's no longer God's will that they remain on this earth. They're not gonna to come to repentance. So again, to minimize the damage, so to speak, God will take them out of this earth. Um, so, you know, he might be saying it might just not be God's will for that person to, to remain any longer. So it's time for them to be removed. Or, I got to thinking about this. Considering the, the, the context and, and the way that John has been writing in, in this epistle, John might be making the distinction between a true believer and one who merely claims to be a Christian. And in that case, when it's talking about death, it's talking about eternal death, spiritual death. You know, the believer can be prayed for, they can be brought to repentance, they can be brought around to live in truth and the fullness of, of their life in Christ. But on the other hand, he's been talking about false believers, 
It's possible the apostate has so hardened their heart and has so offended God that they will not be brought around. And it's not according to God's will. Now that doesn't mean we don't pray for unbelievers, we, we do. But maybe it's a warning to people about their hard hearts. You know, consider what he says in verse 18. The unbeliever is not born of God, so they keep on sinning. They just keep on sinning. They've so hardened their heart. Think of Pharaoh and others in Scripture whose hearts were just so hardened, it's as if God, you know, said, well, it's your hard heart. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna work with your hard heart then to get my will done, but... So that's a possibility because it is within the context of the whole book of, of John, the difference between true believers and those who are not. You pray for the sin of the believers so that they would repent. Maybe what he's saying is you don't pray for the sin of the unbeliever, you just pray that the unbeliever gets saved. They're not gonna turn from their sin until they get saved first. They're headed to death. They need to deal with that first before they deal with the sin that they're in. So some of the possibilities that are out there, I know we gotta to get to a time of prayer. That's, that's a, I know, about as clear as mud, what I've gone through. But I, I'll, I put the possibilities out there, and now I want you to finish the study and see where, where you land. I'd be actually very interested to see. It, it, you, you study this and see where you land on this. But there are some lessons that we can learn from this passage. First, for the true believer, just know that you are assured eternal life and know, you know, you know you're a believer if you believe in the Jesus that's been, you know, revealed in scripture and your heart is soft to the work of the Holy Spirit leading you to repentance when you need to repent. Second, know that God hears your prayers and he will answer according to his perfect will for you. But are you gonna be willing to submit your will to his will? Sometimes, you know, I, I want something, I want something, I'm, I'm just gonna keep fighting to get this something, and God keeps closing the door and we get frustrated because we're not willing to give up our will. Look, it's my will, it's my dream, it's what I want. Maybe God's just waiting for us to surrender. Finally say, look, your will be done, not mine. And just surrender to whatever his plan is. Now that doesn't mean we don't continue to pray for something. I mean, we're obviously taught in scripture that we are to persevere in prayer. But also know and be willing to say, look, I, I want this, but your will be done, Lord. Whatever is best for the kingdom, whatever is best for the gospel, whatever is best for me, I, I leave that in, in your hands. But finally, I just want to mention this lesson. If you've believed in an unbiblical Jesus, and there are so many supposed Christian churches and denominations out there that do not believe in the biblical Jesus. 
They believe in a made-up Jesus. If that's you, repent and believe in the true Jesus of Scripture. Or if your version of Christianity allows you to sin with wild abandon, you're not a true Christian. John makes it clear in his gospel and in his epistle, if you keep on sinning, you live a lifestyle of sin. You, you have no qualms about just going out there and breaking all of God's commandments in some way, shape, or form. You have not truly believed in Jesus Christ and you need to repent and you need to believe in the true Jesus who loved you and died for you and rose again and rules and reigns forever and ever. Believe in him, then you have eternal life. And you can be assured of that. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.